I'd like to read with you in the book of Job. That's back in the Old Testament. If you don't have your Bible with you, I'll just read to you. Back in the book of Job in chapter 9, just before the Psalms is the book of Job. Job chapter 9 and verse number 1. Then Job answered and said, I know it is of a truth, but how should man be just with God? Or that really is, how should man be right with God or be connected with God? Now turn over in the New Testament to 1 Corinthians in chapter 1. 1 Corinthians in chapter 1. After the Romans, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, then 1 Corinthians in chapter 1. And verse number 13. 1 Corinthians 1 verse 13, Paul is asking this question, Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you but Crispus and Gaius. Lest any should say that I baptized in mine own name. And I baptized also the household of Stephanus. Besides, I know not whether I baptized any other. Now we're coming to verse 17 and 18, which really is what's before me tonight. For Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. Now just let me read that uh, with you or to you again, just those two verses. For Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with the wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved. It is the power of God. Uh, Mr. Andrew Zunema, who opened this meeting tonight with these songs that we have sung together. Uh, We really haven't been communicating or talking today. We do lots of times, but not today. He had no idea where I was going to read tonight, and I didn't suggest to him that that be the hymn that he gave out. In fact, I'll be honest with you, I had my hymn book to give out at the close of this service. But he gave that hymn out, and it immediately confirmed in my heart which really been before me this day for the meeting tonight. That's I'm going to preach about the cross. The cross of Christ. Now it's only in fairness that I make it clear to you tonight, even though you may think you understand it, you don't if you're not saved. I'm not talking about a crucifix, okay? As far as God is concerned, there was only one cross. Even though people and other many people died on a Roman cross, it was a very brutal way by which people died. As far as God is concerned, there's only one cross. And that is the cross of his dear son. That's the cross upon which the Lord Jesus Christ was crucified. And that's what I want to speak to you tonight is about the truth of the cross. Anything from that day till now, whether men have gold plated it or whether they have put it on their walls or on the dash of their car, hung it around their neck, doesn't matter. That's a crucifix. Okay? I'm talking about 
Not so much even the actual cross beam or the pole on which the Savior died, the wooden cross, but I'm speaking of the death of Christ linked with the cross. It's not like this. That when man took the Son of God, the Lord Jesus, and nailed him to that cross, God just simply said, all right, the two will never be separated. Even though he will come down from that cross, it is the desire of God that whenever anybody thinks about the Lord Jesus Christ and his death, they think immediately about the cross. Because, my friend, there is no salvation. There's no chance. There's no possibility of anyone going to heaven apart from the cross. Now, you may not be too familiar with the chart that's behind me tonight. Let me just, in all fairness, give to you what it's trying to convey. The Lord Jesus, early in his teaching, said this. He said, you enter in at the straight gate. For wide is the gate, broad is the way which leadeth unto destruction. And he said, many be which go in thereat. But because straight is the gate, narrow is the way which leadeth unto life. Few there be that find it. Now, the only way off this broad way that we are all born on, doesn't matter whether you're Jew, Gentile, rich or poor tonight, doesn't matter whether you're a church attender or not a church attender, we were all born sinners, born on this broad way. And the only way off this road, onto this narrow road, is through the Lord Jesus who said, I am the door. And to make that door possible, he had to die. And when he died on Calvary's cross and said, It is finished. This door immediately became the only means by which people can go to heaven. Now we read in Job chapter 9, and you may ask the question, what's Job chapter 9 got to do with the cross of 1 Corinthians chapter 1? Well, there's a man in Job, as Job himself, and you know he's got a question that I hope you've got tonight. You know what his question was? How can I be right with God? How can I be connected with God? He, he sensed a, a very great disconnect. I mean, if you were to read prior chapters, chapter 1, 2, right up to chapter 8, you'd understand, here's a man, and even though he has abundance of flocks, and he has farms, and he loses that, loses his family, there's one thing remains. One thing remains, God. But his question is this, how can I know that I'm connected with God? Let me ask you tonight, sir. Dear lady in the meeting tonight, young boy, girl, what's your connection tonight with God? Do you know what I mean by that? I asked a lady one time, she's flying to me right away. Another man and I were having gospel meetings and she went to her room or wherever and she came out with a, a picture that was, um, it was well done, a little frame, I can remember it. She was in a white gown and she was in a, standing in a baptismal tank to be baptized and she says, that's my link with God. She meant well. She was very, very serious about it. And we didn't just put that down, friend, but that does not link you with God. Baptism, as we're going to find out from this passage of 1 Corinthians chapter 1, fits nobody, fits nobody for heaven. Now please, don't go out of here tonight and say, you know, those people don't believe in baptism. We do. As much as any and more than most. We believe a person should be baptized after they're saved. Are you saved tonight? You see, these people in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, it says they, they knew they were saved. What were they saved from? They were saved from the ultimate punishment of their sin. Because it wouldn't matter tonight where you went or what you listened to or what you adhered or what you joined. They would have to tell you. They would have to tell you that there is consequence for sin. 
forget the name of the writer just now, but he said this. He says, because of sin, the very seeds of it, we carry in our body that will self-implode to take us out of this world into a next. But there is judgment for sin. The ultimate judgment for sin is death. The Bible says, Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27, As it is appointed unto man once to die, after this, the judgment. So the purpose of a gospel meeting like this, friend, is that you might have a clear understanding, not just because we're saying it, but from the Bible, how you can be connected with God. I do a fair amount of traveling. And you know, before the days of the Wi-Fi and the days of the routers and the days of the wireless and that sort of thing, and I can remember one time in particular going way to the UK and it was a it was a line connection then and some of us remember some of those early um, uh, systems we used for using email and internet and that and uh, I just forget who's, who it was now that it might have been MSN had the little symbol of a, of a telephone pole it was the cross and <coughs> as you were trying to get connected when the connection was made that little icon would float down and go down in the right hand corner of your screen and it would say this connected and I used to look at that and think isn't that true the only way, the only way you can be connected with a holy God is through the cross. And by being connected with the cross means this, friend. Not that you've joined a church. Not that you just go to the gospel hall. Not that you've been to a gospel meeting. But you have come to trust his son that died on Calvary's cross. So this man, Job, you see, he is it, something that's ongoing. It's something that's very concerning him. You know, it's just not a nonchalant. It's just not kind of a... The apathy of people today is appalling. Like, yeah, okay. People invariably will say to me, you seem to be more concerned about this than I am. Well, my friend, that doesn't mean that uh, you shouldn't be concerned. <clears throat> because the preacher's concerned. Do you understand? I want that where you see, where you're sitting tonight. I wasn't always saved. I was not always going to heaven. I was not always on this narrow way. I was just as disconnected from God as you are tonight. He said, well, where did that disconnect happen? First to your Bible, Genesis chapter 3. When man stepped out in his independence from God and disobeyed God, he immediately severed that connection. I have friends of mine known to some of the people here down in Hatboro. They're in the fiber optic business. And they have told me that during some of these strikes when people that knew where the, the main junctions were got in there would take a chainsaw and cut through some of that fiber optic material those lines and it took literally hundreds of thousands of dollars to reconnect what they had just disconnected in a second. When Adam stepped out in independence and disobedience from, disobedience from God, immediately that disconnection came into place. So that's why you go through, I'm not sure if you're a Bible reader tonight or not, but you go through the Old Testament, you read about sacrifices. You read about means that God gave man whereby he could come to God whereby he could find restored what happened, what fell apart, if you like, in the Garden of Eden. But ultimately, ultimately, it would take his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. First Timothy chapter 1, verse 15 says this, This is a faithful saying, and worthy of all acceptation, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. The Bible says, Acts 4, verse number 12, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. That's what we read here in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 
The preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But unto us which are saved, it's the power of God unto salvation. You see, the truth of being saved is a very delightful truth that people have experienced it. People have not experienced it tonight. They stand there, well, whatever. But once a person realizes, hey, listen, listen, if I die, where am I going to be? If you were to die tonight, my friend, it does not matter how much you've got in the bank, what your stocks, what your portfolio is worth. I have visited men that were wealthy, dying. None of them were flashing the gold watch they received from retirement. None of them were showing me, oh, there's the portfolio, or saying, like, could you get it? I want to have a look at things. None of them, I remember a farmer worth all kinds of money. And he would arise in the morning and know exactly what the bean market was that day. What the uh, corn market was. What hogs were selling for. But my friend, when it come to dying, he wasn't asking those questions. Didn't matter. Didn't matter that large hog operation. How it was going that day. Didn't matter if one of their bigger barns was, had burned. All that Don Craigle knew the day that the end came was this. I know Christ. Do you know Christ tonight? Do you know him as your savior? Now the people we read about 1 Corinthians chapter 1 did not always know Christ as their Savior. Okay? If you went back to Acts chapter 18, you'd find that the apostle went into a place called Corinth and he preached the gospel. They'd never heard that before. They were maybe just like some in the meeting tonight. They'd heard about Jesus. They heard about what the Bible calls the way. But they'd never heard that they could be saved. And if you were to go through this letter that he writes now to them after they are saved, he tells them, he tells them, this is what happened on Conversion's Day. Now unfortunately, in chapter 1, there were some of them and there was difficulties and they were saying, well, you know, Paul baptized me. Those are saying, well, you know, we really think Cephas was a good man, Peter, so we'll go with Peter. Paul writes to them, he says, listen, there's only one, it's Christ that matters. To put it in some language, it's Christ that matters. Now, when he writes here and says this about baptism, he names people he baptized, he could remember it. And there's others he says, I can't remember if I baptized them or not. It's not saying he had a bad memory. It's not saying that, that he didn't care about baptism. Do you understand what teaching we have? 95% of the teaching we have about baptism comes from his pen. So he's not drawing a line through it. But you know what he's emphasizing? What they heard at the beginning. That they had to be saved. That they had to have this moment when they trusted Christ. That's all that mattered. So he says, Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Now we invite people to gospel meetings and uh, they say, what's the gospel? We say, good news. Then they come into a hall like this or a building or a tent, whatever it might be, and they are told that they're not going to be in heaven. They're going to be in hell. That's the truth of the Bible. You say, hey, what's good news about that? Well, that isn't good news, friend. But against that black backdrop, if you like, the good news is this. You don't have to go to hell. You don't have to die like that. Now, we're not preaching something that whereby eventually everybody's going to be saved. And eventually everybody's going to be in heaven. Kind of a bloated, easy concept of eternity. Not so, friend. There is a real heaven tonight. My mother is there. I have a sister there. I've got other relatives there. I've got friends that are there. There's also a real hell tonight. I'm afraid I have to tell you that there's some that I could call friends of mine that were never saved. I'm not their judge, unfortunately. 
that likely it's where they are. But that doesn't matter, friend. Let me ask you tonight, if you were to die tonight, where would you be tonight? Where would you be? It wouldn't matter what your parents said. It wouldn't matter what your wife said. What a fine husband you were. And uh, what a caring uh, father you were in the family. All that would matter was this. Did you die linked with Christ, connected with Christ, or did you not die that way? That's an empty business. It's a very sad business when people come to the end of the road and there's no Savior. There's no satisfaction. There's no peace that knowing all is well for eternity. That come what may, I know I'm going to be in heaven. Mr. John Meekin and I had gospel meetings in a place called Jackson, Michigan, a couple years ago. Had a very interesting couple that came to those meetings. Their daughter is a saved lady. Heard the gospel, got saved, and um, this man and his wife, uh, they came a little bit, not too much, but they this has started to get very, very interested in it. So. Uh, Started coming to the bar. At least she would come and he kind of tag along in case she got too interested because he just didn't want her to get too interested in this. Not without him. And we'd go out there sometimes to visit and, uh, you know, he basically would go in the family room and watch TV with the dog. He wasn't really too interested in what we had to say. But that changed. She called one day and she says, I, I, I have to talk to you, man. She described where she lived and uh, we had made a GPS and everything else. That lady came out to the end of the laneway and waited at the road to make sure we didn't miss her drive. When we came up in that car, there she was to wave us in. So we went in and we sat down and began to talk to them. And um, you could see right away that this dear lady was very, very concerned. She says, listen, I've got religion. I've been a church attender all my life. I have never heard before until our daughter Charlotte got saved that you have to be saved to go to heaven. Now she says, I've been going through life hoping this has happened. Hoping this has taken place. But I know it hasn't. And I've never been saved. And I want to be saved. That's kind of people to me. He was sitting over there. And uh, we talked with her for a little while. We talked with Ruth for a while. And then the conversation turned to him. And he said, uh, nah, he says, not for me, fellas. Not for me. If she wants it, that's fine. Not for me. I said, why not for you? you got to die too? He says, I'll worry about that. I said, you'll start worrying when it's too late, sir. That was the first day we visited them. Came to meetings again, and he'd come along too. Went back the next, I think about five days later. We walked to that house, and there was two totally different people. Mrs. could hardly wait to tell us how she got saved, and so we looked over at him and said, what about you? He said, I got saved too. She said, you got saved? He says, you didn't even believe there was a hell last time we were here. What made the change? He said, I changed my mind because I didn't want to be there. Good point. I changed my mind because I didn't want to be there. You see, a lot of people think these things are true if they believe them. I think they're true if you believe them or not, because God says it. The very God that holds your breath in his hand has declared it. That you must be saved. There's no alternative to that, friend. It's an absolute necessity for heaven. And these people had to understand it. But let me tell you the end of that story. Bob was not that well at the time. And he should have been maybe even doing more thinking than his wife. Because she's still living. He's not. When he was dying in the Jackson Hospital. And his daughter's a nurse in the hospital. Actually worked on the floor. Has worked on the floor where he died. The doctors gathered around. And he wasn't that well of a man. He propped himself up on his elbow. And he said, listen doctor. You don't have to worry a lot about me. 
He said there was a tent down there and he named where it was in Jackson. He said, I got this settled this summer. He said, I've trusted Christ as my Savior. Whatever happens here, I know I'm going to be in heaven. The doctor looked at him, looked back at the nurse, looked at his wife. He said, well, we're, we're very pleased. That's the way you feel. He said, it's not the way I feel. It's the way I know. He said, I have absolute certainty of where I'm going to be. Five days later, he died. And they called me. I went up and took his funeral. How about you, friend? It doesn't matter what. It doesn't matter what the preacher says. It doesn't matter what your parents say. It doesn't matter what your pastor says. It matters what God says. The Lord Jesus said, "If you die in your sins, where I am, ye cannot come." Those are very definite words. Now, coming back to First Corinthians chapter one. Paul says this. He's established with them. Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the, the gospel, not with the wisdom of word, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. The cross of Christ, and that's what I want to talk about tonight. Three things about it. I want you to notice, first of all, what the cross reveals. I want you to notice, secondly, what the cross requires. And last, I want you to know what the cross represents. First of all, what does the cross reveal? What does the cross of Christ reveal? You know what it reveals? It reveals something about my heart. It is a grisly reminder that I have a heart in here that has no love for God. That if that's what men did to the Son of God, I would have done the same. Now I've had people argue that, dispute that. They said, I would never have been that cruel. I could never have done it. The Bible says you could. More than that, the Bible actually implicates you as cause for his death. Because we're sinners. And we have sinned against God. So it reveals really what's going on in the heart. I mean, just talk to people. Talk to people about God and about the Lord Jesus. I can talk to people till whatever about church. Church going, church attendance, singing in the church, giving to the church. Has anybody ever talked to you? Let me ask you tonight. Anybody ever talked to you about being saved before in your life? Anybody ever asked you if you were saved? If this is the first time to make it clear, I'm asking you tonight, are you saved? Anybody ever asked you that? Has anybody ever told you that they were saved? Like just anybody ever walked up to you and in conversation said, uh, I'm saved. Because I seldom meet people that somehow, somewhere can't link or identify with at least one person that said something about it to them. Or going down the road in the radio or whatever came on and they heard saved. How about you tonight? Do you have any link with that at all? These people, these people in Corinth had absolutely no link with that at all. They were so taken up with commerce and their business and getting on in life and achieving this and arriving at this and that. That's what they were interested in. When the gospel came to this city, wicked as it was, these people were broken when they realized their need. And the Bible says many of the Corinthians believed and then they were baptized. They believed the message that they heard about their sin and their guilt. And they realized, why that's why Christ has came, has come. Because Paul preached unto them Christ. That's what he says right in the chapter. We preach Christ crucified. That's the one that we preach tonight. The Savior that has come and a Savior that has died. But more than that, the cross not only reveals something about my heart, but you know there's another heart it reveals. It reveals the heart of God. I'd much sooner talk to you about the heart of God than I would about our hearts. Our hearts are not too much to talk about. That's not the organ that pumps the blood. I speak of our hearts, I mean just the inner being of ourselves. 
Let me tell you something about the heart of God tonight. It is summed up so well in that beautiful text, John 3 and verse 16, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, should not go down to hell, but hath everlasting life. It's amazing what people um, literally uh, conceive as they think is the way to heaven and uh, being right with God. Like I say, the Bible says there is a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. Mr. Warren Buffett has uh, publicly stated himself to be an agnostic. doesn't believe in God. A year and a half ago, he signed away to the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation $37 billion of his estate. After he had signed that away, he lifted the pen and he turned to the reporters and he said, I really don't know the way to heaven, but this is sure got to be a start. And he was dead serious. You hear what he said? I really don't know the way to heaven, but this has got to be a start. My friend, $37 billion will take nobody to heaven. Nobody. Any more than 37 cents will. Do you know what it takes? Not the giving of something, but the acceptance of someone that was given. And God gave His Son to die on the cross, to literally pay the price, the penalty, the debt of your sin, so you could go to heaven tonight. So the cross reveals the heart of God. A God that so loves you. You wouldn't be in the meeting today if God didn't love you. You say, oh, wait a minute, I, I, I don't even relate to that. I don't know nothing about that. I'm here because I saw your ad on the, uh, the sign and I've come in, or I've come with a friend or whatever. Let me say it again. You would not be in this gospel meeting tonight if God did not want to manifest and show you that He loves you so much, He doesn't want you to go down to hell. He does not want you to die in your sins. For that reason... We are preaching tonight, the only one that can save you. So you say, well, wait a minute now. Here I am in 2011, and how do I relate? How do I connect with what happened at Calvary? What's my connecting point with this Bible? The Word of God. The Lord Jesus said in John chapter 3, verse number 36, He that believeth in the Son hath everlasting life. He that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth in him. That's what it comes down to, friend. Is a personal acceptance of Christ as your Savior. Trust in what He has done. Literally resting upon it. The Lord Jesus said, All that the Father giveth me shall come to me. Him that cometh unto me, I will in no wise cast out. Don't be like a man I know. Actually, I did know a man I knew, his uncle. His name was Fred Hanna. He had an uncle. Nothing against, I don't know much about unions, but I'm not here to talk about unions against them or for them. But he was pretty well up in the unions in the city of Toronto back in Canada. And uh, Fred, his nephew, used to go to him and speak to him about the cross. <laughs> he said to him, he said, Freddie used to call Freddie, if you don't mind, that, that religion bit, could you just leave that home? Because your uncle isn't interested in going to any heaven, even if there is such a place. Not interested in going. Is that clear? Fred said, Okay, Uncle George, if that's the way, he says, Nice, I'm not, don't talk to me about it. Don't even mention it. Pretty belligerent, wouldn't you say? Quite an attitude. So Fred backed off. Uncle George got sick. Fred visited him in the hospital. He warned him in the hospital. Didn't say a word. Fred didn't. Didn't even pray with him. Wouldn't let him. Died. 
Fred went to the funeral service. The man that got up to take the service stood there and he started talking about George Coulter, what a fine man he was, and about him being in heaven and going on like this. And his nephew, Freddie, could hardly take it as he sat there in the audience at that large funeral. Finally, when they got back to the refreshments after the funeral was all over, he walked up to the clergyman and he said to him, How well did you know my Uncle George? I didn't really know him that well, but yeah, I knew him a bit. He said, Did he ever tell you he wanted to go to heaven? Oh, he says, He didn't have to tell me that. Everybody wants to go to heaven. Not my Uncle George. He said, He made it very clear to me he had no interest in going. And he said, you actually told us today, he said, how, how do you know that? And the uh, clergyman wasn't just too happy being, he felt he was being challenged. And um, he says, I'm here to tell you that that's where your uncle is. But Mr. Hannah said to him, Freddie said to him, um, he said, uh, let me ask you, sir, are you going? Now this is the clergyman. You know what he said? None of your business. Hey, like that. None of your business. Listen, my friend. My point is this. You make sure that when it comes to dying, that's all you've got to do is die. The only way to die is to link yourself with one who died for you. Romans chapter 5, verse number 6 says, For when we were yet without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. So that's what the cross reveals. Reveals the hatred, the wickedness of my heart. Oh, okay, so maybe you haven't never said you didn't want to uh, be saved or you have never been so bad as to say, I don't want to go to heaven on that. Makes no difference, friend. If you're not saved, you're not going tonight. The Bible says that. But I want to think of what the cross re- requires tonight. You know what it requires? No, it doesn't require you going somewhere and confessing your sins. Not even confessing them to God. There's nowhere in the Bible where the sinner is told to confess his sins to God. You know what it requires? An admission of guilt. An out and out admission to God. I have sinned. I am the sinner that your word describes. And I desperately need your son as my savior. And your acceptance of that. And acceptance of this truth. God literally says and declares you as being saved. More than that. I want to think of what the cross represents tonight. If you lived in that day and you saw someone going out carrying their cross as they were made to do, you would just look at that and say, that, that person's finished. We'll never see them again. And they didn't. Because they were going out to pay their penalty to society for whatever cause. But there was a day when out through those gates went a man that was innocent carrying a cross. His name was Jesus. And when he went out through that gate, it was not him that was going to be finished. He was going to finish a work that he had been given to do. And he went to Calvary's cross and literally allowed men to take his hands, his feet, nail him to that cross, put him up on that cross as the Savior. They stood back and they mocked. The Bible tells us that while he was on that cross, do you know what he was doing? He was bearing the sins and the judgment of this world. Now God in turn comes out to the world and says this, Whosoever believeth in the Son hath everlasting life. He says, Romans 5, John 5 verse 24, Verily, verily I say unto you, He that heareth my word, believeth on him that sent me, hath everlasting life, shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. You know, I do admit that if I was to analyze just our or my own gospel preaching 
a lot of it really is kind of zeroed in on the guilt and the sin and the condition of the sinner. I'm reminded of a story I read of an ocean liner coming across here to New York in the back in the 1950s. Partway across, coming across from the UK, the normal alarm systems went on and deck that there was a man overboard. And of course the captain of that big vessel started to pull those throttles back to slow that big vessel down, but you know how long it takes to get those thousands and thousands of tons of steel slowed and started firing up the generators, getting all the lights up on the deck and they began to sweep the waters back and forth. All the time the captain is standing up at the top and he's watching uh, you know, the deck hands and he's working down below them as they're starting to scan that ocean looking for this man. But finally, they find him. And they literally turned up the candle power on all those massive lamps, lights on that ship. Put the full generator to them and they seared it right in on the man. There he was, it was just, you could see the silhouette around him and there he was just, it was so obvious. As you know, they were firing out life rings and everything, they were bouncing beside him and everything else, but didn't seem to be able to get a hold of them. <coughs> Excuse me. Finally, captain called down orders. Look, he says, take, take the light, take the light off the man, put the light on what, the, what will save him. So what they did, they just changed the lens. Those lights, instead of putting them on the man, they put them on the life ring beside him, put his arm in it. He was saved. My friend, that's what I would like to do at the close of this gospel reading tonight. Is literally take your attention tonight away from yourself and your sin and your circumstances. I want to put that light on a man that died on Calvary's cross called Jesus. That he might, so to speak, link you with the God you've never been linked with. That he may reconnect what has been severed because of your sin. The Bible says that. Makes it very, very clear that that communion has been broken, has been severed because of our sin. Peter says, you were sheep going astray, but now have returned unto the shepherd and bishop of your souls. The cross means everything. Talk to a person that's saved about a cross, it means everything. I was coming through, the, I drove through the state of Texas once. <clears throat> Big state. Yeah, I could have been. Biggest trains I ever saw, state of Texas. Saw cowboy hats and cowboy boots and saw Texas until I was tired of Texas. But there's something in Texas I was looking for in Interstate 40. I'd never seen it. I read about it. I was traveling in a transport with a young fellow by the name of Brian Bingham. His grandfather used to preach the gospel. It was just about that evening uh, in the spring when it was, and just as sun was about to go down, and I saw it. Brian, there it is! There it is! I've been looking for it. I knew approximately where it was. There along Interstate 40, crossing the flatlands of Texas, was a massive constructed steel cross. If I remember right, the height of that is something like 96 feet. It has a, it has a beam span of something like 43. The lights had just come on, they were shining up on it, you know, and we were driving along, and the interstate was relatively busy. Here we were, both of us saved, and we were just looking at it, you know, just, wow, just the size of it, you know, just very imposing just where it is there's a small church at the bottom of it and that sort of thing we were watching it watching the road and so on nobody else was nobody else was do you know why? they became used to it didn't mean anything to them do you know when the first was put up it actually was a, kind of a distraction the department of transport were very concerned because people were looking at it not watching the road but now they got used to it it's just there do you know what else it was? 
It was an identifying, it was an identifying point for directions. People would tell relatives that were coming or friends that were coming, listen, stay with the interstate, stay with the interstate till you get past the cross. Once you get past the cross, you will take the next interchange, next exit, take you to our house. I think of that, my friend. That big steel construction there, that won't save anybody. But it was something to see. But you know, it reminded me of a much humbler cross. Reminded me of, a, of an identifying point at a place called Calvary. Luke chapter 23 verse 33 says, When they were come to the place which is called Calvary, they crucified him. I close and I leave you with one question. Okay? I want you to think about this question. Because it will decide where you're going to be for eternity. The question is this. Did anything happen at Calvary that was for you? Did anything happen at Calvary that was for you? Shall we pray?